Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3. We're going to cover one verse tonight. We're going to take these Beatitudes one at a time. So it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Make sense? Okay, we're done. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Seems like it's such a simple uh, few words, but you could preach hundreds and hundreds of lessons and sermons based on this simple verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is this poor in spirit that Jesus was talking about here? Well, first let's set, up a, let's set this up a little bit as uh, Stephen did last week when he introduced the Beatitudes for us. Remember first that um, Jesus had just been tempted, spent his time in the desert. He had just began his ministry, and he had done what Jesus does. He had been ministering and serving others, the Bible says. And then after this period of time where he was ministering and, and serving others, it says that he went up to a mountain, and he sat down, and he began to speak to his disciples. And these weren't necessarily the 12 disciples, but these were Christians, so the first thing we need to remember when we're going through these Beatitudes is that, that Jesus was talking to Christians, to believers, to us. He wasn't just talking to anyone, to the crowds. He was talking to those who had already put their faith and trust in Him, first and foremost. Secondly, we got to remember that these Beatitudes are not uh, a new set of Ten Commandments. They're not new laws uh, that would replace the old laws. We've talked about this a lot when we were going through Hebrews uh, Christ didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill the law, right? I mean, he didn't abolish the, the old laws, and this is not a new set of laws. In fact, these are the be attitudes, not the do attitudes. So these are more about your character than a set of rules. Now, character is just as important, right? Because from your character flows the way you act. Your actions flow out of your character. And in fact, it kind of goes both ways, right? While your actions flow out of your character, your character can actually be built by the way you act. So they go hand in hand, but this isn't about a set of rules to follow. This is about character of a believer. Uh, the third thing to remember is, is that unlike spiritual gifts we talk about, which are uh, gifted to each person according to God's will, right? Each of us have different spiritual gifts. These are character traits, if you will, that are applicable to all Christians. So it isn't that some people are poor in spirit and some are peacemakers. No, these are characters, if you will, character traits that all Christians should possess or should come to possess over their life, all right? So these are important things to remember as we're walking through these Beatitudes. So then that brings us back to what does it mean? What is the character, if you will, that comes from being poor in spirit? When I was studying for this, I came across a story uh, of a old baseball manager from the 40s and the 50s called Branch Rickey. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Branch Rickey, but Branch uh, was a Christian, uh, had done a number of things for baseball, including he was really the person responsible for breaking the color barrier in baseball. He's the one that signed uh, Jackie Robinson. Uh, he also signed Roberto Clemente, the first Latino player to baseball. And he tells a story of a time when he was the general manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates. 
And during that time, he had a player that played for him. His name was Ralph Kenner. And uh, Ralph, following one of the seasons, came to Branch and said, Branch, I'd like to have a raise. I'd like to make more money. In which Branch replied, no, you can't have a raise. He's like, well, I don't understand. Uh, I was the best player on the team. I deserve it. I hit 37 home runs. I deserve to have a raise. And Branch looked at him and he said, well, uh, Ralph, where did we finish as a team? And Ralph kind of looked at him and said, well, we, f- we finished last. And he said, well, Ralph, we don't need you to finish last. So his point was, right, I can finish last without you. And that's a little bit about what poor in spirit is about. Jesus didn't need us, if you will, to save mankind. <clears throat> he, didn't, he doesn't need us to save us today. It's not about us. It's about him. So that's really what poor in spirit is about. Poor in spirit is about getting to a place in your life where you're totally dependent on Christ, where you are nothing and he is everything, where you get to the point of brokenness. We talked about this in the three circles, right? We talked about this in terms of salvation. When you get to a place in your life where you're broken and you're empty and you depend totally on Christ, where you are nothing and he is everything. That's what being poor in spirit means. Last week when Stephen introduced this, <clears throat> he talked about how um, we were in the beginning part of the Beatitudes. He called his lesson descending into service. And his point behind that was, is when you look at these first few Beatitudes, starting with poor in spirit, it's, it's as if they were having to go down. It's as if we're taking this first step and we're falling off of this cliff to ourselves to head to the bottom, if you will, emptying ourselves so that God can raise us up. You know, I think of it as a free fall. In fact, if I were going to title this lesson, I would title it Free Falling after the great Jesus anthem that Tom Petty wrote called Free Falling. You've heard that song, right? You didn't know it was a Jesus anthem, but you probably forgot the words to it then, which in the beginning it says she's a good girl, loves her mama, and loves Jesus too, right? So it's a, it's a Jesus anthem, not really, but, uh, <laughs> but it is a good song. And when I think about that song, and I was thinking about it as I was titling this lesson this past week, I had that song in my head. I could not stop singing in my head Free Falling. And it's kind of a weird song, right? Because when you think Think of that title, free falling. Uh, it sounds really bad, right? Free falling, got out of control. I mean, you just hear that title. But really, if you if you if you know the song, it's it's really a good song about falling for a girl. Well, being poor in spirit is a little bit like that. It sounds kind of bad, right? Being poor in spirit. I mean, how many people really want to be poor in anything, much less poor in spirit? So it sounds really bad, okay? But it's really good. And the reason it's really good is because you're falling into the arms of Jesus. Okay, so we're falling, but Jesus is there to catch us. So it's, it sounds bad, but it's really pretty good, okay? So it's, it's, trying to, it's getting to a point where we've emptied out ourselves, okay, so that God can pick us up. It's really about humility, okay? It's about humbling ourselves. Um, in fact... Uh, Billy Graham says, if you want to understand this beatitude, you can just replace the word poor with humble. So blessed are those who are humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This past week, um, Aaron uh, allowed me to go. It's a wrong picture, but uh, Aaron allowed me to go to uh, San Diego, okay, to spend a week playing golf. And it was awesome. I have such a great wife. 
Uh, and the whole time I was there, I really did wish she was there because I knew how much she would love it because I woke up every day and it was 65 degrees and I got to put on a sweater and go out to all these beautiful places. And I was there um, as the guest of a ministry called Marketplace Ministries. And I don't know how many people have heard of Marketplace Ministries, but it's a wonderful organization birthed really out of members of Prestonwood um, and um, Art Strickland, who's one of, is the son of the founder, Gil Strickland. Marketplace Ministry, what they do is, is they take and they put chaplains out into the workforce, okay, out into the battlefield where a lot of, obviously, evangelism takes place. And they've been around for 32 years. They have 1,900 chaplains that work for them for over 750 employers all over the world. They, ter- they touch 3,800 locations uh, every day. And just this year to date, they've seen 450 people come to Christ in the workplace through workplace uh, through this marketplace ministry. So it's a wonderful, it's a um, it's a wonderful uh, ministry. This is Art, the one on the left, of course, the good-looking guy, me, in the kind of the middle. Chip Loper, a good friend of mine, and Jeff Young got to go with us. And then the next picture um, is. Look at these hang gliders, guys. There's really a golf hole there. This is, I put this on there because this is the signature hole. This is number three at Torrey Pines. And if you're a golfer, Torrey Pines is a great place. It's where Tiger Woods won his last major on the kind of broken leg. And then the next picture is they took of me because I birdied this hole. All right? So this was, this was to commemorate the time that I made birdie. And then the next hole, uh, the next picture, this is where we stayed. I show you this picture because... Um, Every morning I got to go out at, you know, 5.30 in the morning, and, and, and at nights I'd go down there as well, and that's where I'd call Aaron, and, and this is the, go back, this is the, I told you I got a technical problem over there. Can you go back? One more. So that's sunset. How pretty is that? Uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, and then the next one, okay, so th- this picture here, kind of a weird picture to take, right? Uh, well, the reason I took this picture is because I was sitting there each morning really thinking about this lesson, thinking about poor in spirit and what it means. And I, and I, I was just looking out across this vast ocean and thinking just about the, the power of God, you know, the awesomeness of God. And, and I looked at this and I thought, man, how, how, how amazing is this? I've got a sign here that says danger. So this whole body of water that I'm looking out of that God controls, right? All of it's in his hands. He controls everything out there. And it's so powerful. It's so powerful that I can't even walk out in it without being in danger. I mean, I can't even put my feet in it without being in danger. And that ship out there, there's a lot of military in San Diego. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's one of the military ships. So I started doing some research, and I started thinking, well, how big is that ship? I don't know this exact ship, but if you look at a battleship, a battleship weighs 90 million pounds. 90 million pounds. Think about that. 90 million pounds, and that battleship in that ocean is nothing. I mean, is nothing. I mean, it can, it, it can just toss it about. Uh, it's controlled by the waves. Um, I mean, think about how massive 90 million pounds is, and yet it's nothing when compared to God. So that, to me, it was a great, you know, word on humility. Because one of the things when I think of and when I think about humility is just how small I am and how big God is. And that's really what poor in spirit is about, is how big God is and how small 
we are. So part of it is, being, is, is humility. It's about being humble. One of the reasons I like um, that word that Billy Graham gives to say humble in spirit, because it also allows me, though, to talk about what it is not. Uh, some people, uh, if you read a, a lot on this beatitude, they want to make it about uh, money. Are you poor financially versus poor in spirit? Because there's a shorthand version of this in, in Luke, in the Beatitudes, where he doesn't say poor in spirit. And we could talk for hours about this, okay, and about why that's the case. But make no mistake about it, this is not about wealth or poverty, okay? This is, there's, there's, there's no guarantee. Wealth, uh, nor, neither wealth nor poverty will guarantee you heaven, okay? Bible never says that wealth is bad and poverty is good. That's not what this is about, okay? And I can give you multiple examples of that in the Bible of wealthy people. If you looked at, going back to the beginning, Abraham, okay, Abraham would be the Bill Gates of the Bible, okay? The Bible says in Genesis that he was very rich, very rich in livestock and gold and silver. He was very rich, all right? I can give you lots of examples in the Old Testament. I can give you lots of examples in the New Testament, Okay, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Remember, he's the one that paid for the burial of Jesus. The Bible says he was a disciple of Christ. And, and, and therefore, he went and he took the body and he paid for the burial. Okay, uh, what about uh, Lydia? She was one of the early church planters. Uh, she helped uh, plant uh, the church of Philippi with Paul. And the Bible says that she was a seller of goods in Acts. And if you're a seller of goods in that day... You were wealthy, especially if you were a woman that was a seller of goods. You would have been very wealthy. And the Bible says that she uh, worshiped God, said that God opened her heart, and she was baptized. She was a believer. She was a wealthy believer. <clears throat> There's another great example that I want us to look at in, in Luke. And you can turn over there to Luke chapter 7. Uh, Luke chapter 7, we're going to read the first 10 verses about the centurion. Remember the centurion that sent people to go get Jesus because his, his servant... Uh, was dying and he wanted him to, to save him. Remember this story. There's, there's a couple of different accounts. We're going to look at the one in, in Luke uh, chapter 7 because I think it's a great illustration of my point here of both humility, uh, the fact that it is about humility and not about wealth. So uh, chapter 7, verse 1, book of Luke. It says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they, uh, the elders, or the Jewish elders, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. So think about what they're saying. So you've got the Jewish elders. They're gonna, he sent them to go talk to Jesus, right? And what do they think is going to move Jesus? What is it that they believe is going to get his attention? It's how powerful this guy is, who he is. He's a friend of ours, first of all. He, he likes us. We like him. And he built the synagogue for us. He's rich. He's really, really rich, and he would have been rich in this day. Uh, probably most centurions would have come from old money. They'd have come from wealth, and then they'd have had new money because as a centurion, they were given lots of land. Okay, There's a lot of discussion that you could read about about him doing this act of building the synagogue. So this was a very wealthy centurion. So what do they think? Man, this is going to impress Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a friend of ours. 
and he's really rich, Jesus. So you got to do this because you know why? If you do this, there's something in it for us maybe. All right, we're helping him. He'll help us some more. But then what, what happens after that? So let's, let's read on there in verse 6. It says, And Jesus went with them. Uh, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. This time he figured it was better, to, I guess, to send friends. He didn't send the elders back. Saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. So, the elders go, and it's all about who he is and how much he has, right? And what does he do, though? It's not about that. I'm not worthy. It's not about me. I'm not worthy. It's about you. You could just say the word, Jesus. And it is that, it is that humility, it is that impor- poor spirit, if you will, poorness of spirit, where it wasn't about the centurion. It was about Jesus. It's very clear from his words, I'm not worthy. It's not about me. It's about you. All you got to do is say the word. And that, not his wealth, that, the wealth didn't impress Jesus at all. That wasn't what, what he's speaking to. That's not what Jesus is speaking to down, if you look down in verse 10 when he says, or verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such a faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they had found the servant well. It was, it was his poor spirit. It was humility and spirit that impressed Jesus, right? Had nothing to do with his money. Nothing at all. So this is not about poor and rich in the terms of financial. This is about poor in spirit, humility in spirit. But, 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 but still today, though, we still think of it, though, don't we, in that, that, um, that, that, that wealth equals pride a lot of times, and poverty maybe equals humility. I mean, we do think of it that way, don't we? I mean, why, why do you think it is that, that that's the case? That, that wealth tends to equal pride and poverty tends to equal humility. Why is that? Any ideas why wealth generally equals pride? Don't need Jesus. I think that's right. I mean, but at the heart of it, it really is about you don't think you need anybody. You don't, and you certainly don't need Jesus. I mean... You know, I'll tell you my own life, and I've given you my testimony many times. I mean, I grew up with nothing, okay? I, I couldn't describe poverty enough where I grew up. I grew up with nothing in a very, very poor home, in a very broken home. I didn't know. I didn't fly on an airplane until I went to the military. I didn't know there was a world outside of a trailer park and nothing. That was my view of the world, and I had no hope of anything outside of that. I didn't realize there was a world beyond my situation until I made it to college many, many years later, okay? But when I, I, I was fortunate, you know, I, 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 I got a lot of good breaks. And, you know, there came a time in my life where certainly by the world standard, I would have been considered very rich. And, you know, thankfully, and, and, and when I was in that position, I can tell you, I didn't think I needed anybody. That's my wife. Uh, I didn't think I needed a single thing. I certainly didn't think I needed Jesus, okay? And I, and, I, and I proved it by my words. There was a time in 2006, I've told this story before, I'll tell you again. We had some friends of ours who had just lost two children to a disease called mitochondrial disease at, at seven months. And each of them at seven months old within about a three-year period. And I remember going to Erin thinking and saying this, verbalizing this out to her that I don't understand, okay? They're Christians and their life is terrible terrible. I mean, at that time, it was an absolute rock bottom. And I said, but me, but me, I have everything. I have everything that I could ever want. I have a wonderful wife and family. I have all the money I could ever spend. And I don't even think about God. 
That was my view. That was the way I thought about life. You know, luckily God put a, a, a godly man in my life that helped disciple me. And God broke that pride and brought me to a point where I knew how much I needed him. But it really didn't end there. Okay, it really didn't stop with just the time I accepted him. You know, after that, there was still a lot of pride in my life. You know, and God then went through a period of time starting in about 08, late 08, uh, for many, many, many years that continues today, okay, of breaking me of that, okay, of giving me this humble spirit, this poor spirit, bringing me down to where I am empty and I can be filled up with God. That is still a work in process for me, all right? There's a reason also why this is at the first of the Beatitudes, all right, being poor in spirit, being humble in spirit, just like for me, when I accepted Christ, it is the gateway to salvation. You will never accept Christ until you reach that point of brokenness and emptiness. That's why we go through it in the three circles. It's when you reach that point and you realize you need something to get you out of that brokenness, that's poor in spirit. But it doesn't always, it's not going to just end there, though. Because remember, this is addressing Christians. You know, this isn't addressing someone that needs Christ. This is addressing Christians. So it is also being poor in spirit, being humble in spirit, is the gateway to sanctification. So it's not only the gateway to salvation, it's the gateway to sanctification. And why do I say that? Well, because unless you are poor in spirit, unless you are humble in spirit, okay, you're never going to get to being gentle, to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to uh, being pure, to being a peacemaker, to being merciful. And I promise you, you will never, ever get to the point where you're willing to be persecuted for Christ if you're not first poor in spirit, if you're not humble. You're not humble. But, you know, thinking about, you know, humble, you know, and, and pride, if, if, if humility is the key and pride, okay, if our pride is, is, is what we got to get past, it seems like we really need to focus a little bit on identifying and understanding pride, right? Okay, because if the gateway, if the gateway to salvation, if the gateway to sanctification is being poor in spirit, being humble in spirit, and pride is really the opposite, if you will, of humility and being humble, then we really need to focus in a little bit on pride, okay? We need to understand pride, and we need to understand uh, what it looks like and how do we get rid of it. I've got a, uh, on your table, I put a handout. It's got pride at the top of it. Now, the Bible, as you know, I could have put 50 verses on here, says a lot about pride, Right? Uh, I put two on here that I thought were very applicable. Proverbs eleven twelve. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Wisdom is from God. James 4, 6, though. How about this one? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean, think about how scary that is. I mean, do you want to be opposed by God? And he gives grace to the humble? The poor in spirit. Remember we just talk, said that the humble is humble in spirit. Being poor in spirit, he gives grace. Think about where, what grace is required for. Salvation, sanctification. That's what this verse is saying. I, I also found some great quotes uh, that I put on here. I just thought they were just, they, they speak directly to uh, how terrible and how hard pride can be on your life. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, you would not necessarily think of him or a quote in, a, uh, in a, uh, a Bible fellowship class, but this is a great quote. It says, in reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. 
Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive and will ever now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history. For even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> right? How true is that, though? This is just the time we get to the place where we think we've gotten over pride. Now we're proud about that. It just eats us up. Here, this is, I'm getting better, John. So this one is C.S. Lewis. All right, we all agree with C.S. Lewis, okay? Other sins come from the devil working on us through our animal nature, but pride does not come from our animal nature at all. It comes direct from hell. It is purely spiritual. Consequently, it is far more subtle and deadly. It is a spiritual cancer. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. We're just talking about cancer. I mean, I can't think of anything worse than uh, physical cancer than maybe spiritual cancer. I can't think of anything worse than physical cancer except for maybe spiritual cancer. So, if, again, if, if, we, if, if, if being poor in spirit is our gateway, okay, to both salvation and sanctification, and that means that we need to empty ourselves and be humble and get rid of our pride, we need to make sure we understand what pride is. So I, I helped us here, okay? I helped us because I want us to understand, I want us to recognize, okay, what it looks like, and I want us to think about the remedy for pride. Because there is a remedy. I mean, you can't get past this. God gives us the, the answer. So what I, I did there is I found some uh, symptoms, if you will. If we're diagnosing our spiritual cancer, this would what you would do, right? You would look for what are your symptoms. How do you know you have pride? What are the, what's the fruit, if you will, of pride? And I, I put some of them down here for us. And let me read through them because when I was reading this, it uh, was very convicting. Um, prejudiced, argumentative. Man, there's a lot of argumentative, let me tell you, in the Olson household. So um, we, 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 we have way too much of that. Rudeness, boastfulness, complaining, stubbornness. We've got a lot of complaining, too. We're, oh, we, we take off a bunch of these, trust me. Uh, stubbornness. My wife's probably going to go through this. She's going to have like about, I, I bet you at least 50% of this she would think was me. Stubbornness. A critical spirit. I've been praying about that for the last two days, about not having a critical spirit. I've been looking at all this stuff on the, on the election. I was just trying my best not to have a crit critical spirit. It was so easy to do, but I was just praying through it. God, don't give me a critical spirit. Uh, disobedience. Uh, independence. Self-ambition. Self-promotion. Rebellion toward authority. I, I screw that one up all the time. Uh, gossiping. Self-sufficiency, that goes to the heart of wealth that we were talking about earlier. It's a self-sufficiency. You don't need anything. At least you don't think you do until there's something that you can't do. You know, we were talking about this in terms of, you know, how do you explain why do you need God or, you know, bad things happen. If my life's not going to get better, why do you need God? And Jared mentioned it tonight. You know, how, tell me how it's going. Because, you know, every tragedy is a result of you getting to the end of you. You'd never be in a tragedy if you had anything left in you. <laughs> You'd fix it, Right. So you get to the end of you is where tragedy begins, and then it's what do you do? Then it's what do you do? No amount of money in the world will change that. 
unrepentant, being demanding. That's another one I'm failing at. Desiring control, impatient. <laughs> Aaron's smiling. <laughs> being unforgiven, pleasing people over God, ingratitude, self-righteousness. It's a hard, high standard. I mean, we know we're not going to be, that's it. Well, Kelly, I cut the list off. It was a bunch longer, and I, I pared it down. I pared it down. It was worse than that. Yeah. But you know what, though? It brings us back, though, right? Because that's a great segue. Because it brings us back to, okay, how, what's the answer? How do we get rid of this? What's our remedy for this? Well, I'll tell you, the remedy is actually found in the Beatitude. So what does it say again in the Beatitude? It said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, what is the kingdom of heaven? Sometimes referred to in the Bible as the kingdom of God. Well, quite simply, it is wherever Jesus is. Sometimes in the Bible, it's, it's the present. Uh, he says in Matthew that if I, if I heal you, if I cast out demons or I heal you in the name of, by the power of, of God then the kingdom has come. I've come. Okay. It also is the future in certain times in the Bible. In the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come, talking about the future. There's a, uh, lots of references in the Bible that talk about you know, maybe back when we have a new heaven and a new earth as well. But at the end of the day, it's just wherever Jesus is at. So what is the blessing you get uh, if you are poor in spirit? You get Jesus. You get Jesus. If you're poor in spirit, you get Jesus. It's blessed. And what does blessed mean? Blessed, if you look back to the Greek word makaris, mak, makaris uh, for uh, blessed, it actually means happy. It means happy. But, but Jesus does for this word like he does for everything else. He kind of turns it upside down, right? It's not what the world defines as happy. Okay, it's how God defines. He's defining and we're going to look at it every week when we go through the Beatitudes, what it means. Because every one of them starts with blessed or happy. You'll be happy if this, happy, happy, happy. Well, when are you happy? When you have Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that is the remedy, okay, to pride. It's Jesus, 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 right? Over and over, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I gave you three practical things to think about here on this handout. Uh, when you're thinking about what I need to focus on to cure myself of this spiritual cancer. It's like if the doctor goes to you and you've got cancer, he's going to tell you to do certain things, right? Chemotherapy, radiation. He's going to maybe you know, tell you to get rest or exercise. Here would be my three uh, things that you need to do if you want to treat your spiritual uh, cancer. One, remember the rock we did a few weeks ago where we painted the rock and what did we say it was for is to remember the sacrifice and remember God's faithfulness in your life. You want to be humble in spirit, you remember what Jesus did for you on that cross. If you're a Christian, okay, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, there is no way you can remember what Christ did and it not humble you. It's just impossible. It cannot happen. If you remember the times in his, your life where he's been faithful, to be there when you needed him. To give you comfort and peace. There's no way in the world you can't be humble whenever you think about that. Number two, remember the difference between your worth in Jesus and your worth in the flesh. It's not about what you, he, it's about what he did, not what you do. Very important. 
Paul was the best at this, the Apostle Paul. I mean, he, countless of, of his words in the New Testament go directly to the heart of this. It is not about me. It is about Jesus and what he does through me. If you remember that, you keep that focus, okay? It'll put you in your place. And you'll recognize and realize that eventually in, every, in some situation, you will always run out of you. It'll never be the end all do all for your life. It's all about Christ. And number three, remember to act like Jesus. Focus on others more than yourself. Focus on others more than yourself. Be a servant. I guarantee you, if you're putting others first before you, it will humble you. I mean, almost by definition, pride is putting yourself above someone else. Serve others. Be about loving and serving. You act like Jesus. You do these three things. You walk around every day. If you feel like pride's coming in your life, you start thinking, man, think about what Jesus did for me. Think about what I am in Jesus, you know, and love and go out and do something for somebody else. I promise you it'll push that pride down. It'll push that pride down. Now, listen, and this doesn't mean, though, that we don't live, you know, this poor in spirit, humble in spirit. doesn't mean we don't live with confidence, right? doesn't mean we, we, we lack boldness. Or courage doesn't mean we live, you know, a timid life, uh, you know, afraid or scared, right? doesn't mean any of that stuff. In fact, the, the, the person that's poor in spirit, that's empty of themselves and filled with Christ, that's, that's a mighty warrior. That's a mighty warrior. Not about, not about being weak. Poor doesn't mean weak, okay? Humble doesn't mean weak. It means strong in Christ. It may mean weak in yourself, but it means strong in Christ, so you take that person, okay, you take that person that, that recognizes that it's not about, about them, that it's about Christ, it's not about where they went to school or where they grew up or what their job is or how much money they have or how much money they don't have or even how much they do for the church or, you know, how spiritual they are or whatever. You take that person that doesn't believe in any of that, okay, that like Paul says that I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives through me, you give me that person, you give God that person that has that, okay, and I guarantee you God's going to do amazing and incredible things in that person's life that they could have never, ever, ever imagined. Never imagined. It's, it's, it's free-falling into the arms of Christ. It, 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 it sounds bad when you say poor in spirit, right, but when you're falling into the arms of Christ, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So I encourage you, we sh let's, let's go through life trying to be humble, okay? Emptying ourselves out for Christ. Let our emptiness, okay, empower us. Let our emptiness empower us to be more like Jesus. Great uh, theologian um, Charles Spurgeon said that if we want to rise in the kingdom, we must sink of ourselves. So it's all about putting Jesus first, putting Jesus up, letting us take the back seat, right? Realizing that it's about him and not us. Amen? Amen. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it, it, we're going we're gonna to kind of stay here for another week. We're talking about mourning <laughs> next week. I don't know if that gets much uh, more uplifting to you, but, uh, but then we're going to start this kind of uptick, as Stephen talked about. We're descending into service. We've, we've free fall down and, and now we're going to slowly start going back up. And again, remember, all of these work together in, in, in the heart of a Christian.